Okay, so in criminal law, today we talked about statutory interpretation. This is kind of a continuation from yesterday, but we also ended up talking about actus reus, 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 uh, however you say that, and uh, what it means to have voluntary and acts, acts of omission, and those are going to be what we focus on uh, throughout this episode. So statutory interpretation, this is, like I said, a continuation of yesterday, and we discussed Muscarello v. United States, and what happened in this case is uh, the United States, the Supreme Court, is trying to define what carry is in the statute. And so the point of us bringing up this case is to say, what does it mean to carry? Or rather, how do we interpret what this word is and it's a long opinion trying to define a single word of a case so what are some of the ways that the supreme court actually uses to define this case well they use several things uh they look at the plain language and the legislative intent those are the two main things that they do here uh they determine that there is a plain language definition for carry so they don't need to go into legislative intent but they do end up doing that anyways so what is the plain language? How do, de- how do you determine what the plain language is? First, you can look at a dictionary. I mean, plain language is pretty straightforward. It's like, how do you define it? Well, they look at a dif- dictionary and they say, okay, there are several ways that we can define carry. Uh, let's look at what most applies. Now, they do decide to define carry in a very specific way, but they decide to look at the legislative intent just to be sure, you know, just to make sure that everything is good. So what, how do you determine what the legislative intent is? Well, you're going to want to look at the purpose of the statute. You're going to want to look at what other statutes say, what other common law says, and you're also going to want to look at the legislative history. What did the legislature say as they were creating this law? Here, in this case, they determined that there are lots of information that points to the purpose of the statute. Uh, The statute in question here in this case was actually whether or not a weapon needed to be on a person or in a vehicle if a vehicle was too broad when they were trying to determine having a uh, using and carrying a weapon in a drug trafficking situation as being a crime. And so, is a weapon in a vehicle too broad? Well, and the court here says, no, it's not too broad. And the reason why, they look at the legislative intent, and they say that the legislature wouldn't want people to take the gun to the situation in the first place. So, even if it's in a car, that's a violation of the legislative intent, and we can interpret the statute to mean that way. So that's statutory interpretation. Let's talk about actus reus, reus. This is the physical part of the crime, the act. So there are two parts of committing a crime. The first is actus reus, and the other is mens re. Uh, Mens re is the mental part. We're going to talk more about mens re next week, but we're going to focus on actus reus right now. And... This can be defined as the act, like, for example, if somebody is going to smack somebody across the face, the act is the actual smacking, and the result of the act, which is being hit across the face. Those are the two actions as part of this. We're not going to look at intent or anything else for this, but these actions need to be voluntary. 
and we're going to talk about acts of omission as well. But let's focus on voluntary first. So voluntary, uh, our first case is Martin v. State. And what happened here is that a person was guilty of public intoxication. He was arrested at his home. He was taken into public, and he acted drunkenly because he was intoxicated. And so they charged him for public intoxication as well. However, he was voluntarily intoxicated. That's one of the requirements. But the second requirement is that you need to be in public. And he did not voluntarily go into public. So the state could not prove in that instance that he had voluntarily acted in violation of this criminal charge that he was convicted of. Another example is State v. Utter. This is a case about automatic automatic response. Uh, This person had military experience and uh, consequently uh, he did not do well with being approached from behind or so he claims uh, because the evidence here is questionable at least to be able to be proven. Anyways, he was approached from behind assumedly uh, from his son and he ended up uh, killing his uh, son based off of this automatic response. And the court says that unconscious actions are voluntary, but you need to actually prove it. The defendant needs to prove that these actions are unconscious. There are, according to the MPC, several reason, several things that can be considered involuntary acts, and those are reflexes or convulsion, so like a seizure is involuntary, uh, bodily movement during unconsciousness or sleep, uh, hypnosis or automatic response, which was the instance in this case, State Vyutter. Um It's not exhaustive, but this varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but that's what the MPC is, which is the model penal code, which is commonly or widely accepted as how criminal law is to be uh, defined. So let's go into acts of omission, and this is, for example, if you walk into a crime and then you don't do anything. There is some instances where you can be held criminally liable for not following a crime, but they're very rare, and there's reasons why. For the most part, you are not held legally liable for omitting a crime uh, by not being an activate, like seeing it and then not acting. So what can make you liable? Well, there are five things. First is if a statute imposes a duty. Second is if there's a certain relationship status, meaning a spouse, for example, is reliable for uh, a crime being committed, is responsible for their safety. So if for example, my wife was having a crime committed against her, it would be my obligation to, and my legal duty, to go and stop that. And if I don't, then I can be held liable for an act of omission. There's contractual duty, uh, there's a voluntarily assumed care, or and this is important, the secluded and helpless uh, which secludes and the helpless person from receiving help from other people. So if I'm swimming out to sea, 
and there are other people on the shore and my swimming at the sea stops other people from helping them and then I turn around at the last second well then I've committed a crime of omission an act of omission uh, the reason why we oh and the fifth reason is uh, if your acts of omission create a harm to another person so a lot of these for example is a hit and run if you hit somebody and you keep driving uh, then that is an act of omission because you're not stopping to help the individual that you may have committed a crime against. So, there is not a criminal liability for failure to complete a moral duty. So, those five things are all legal duties. Moral duty is where you should help people, but you don't. Uh, those are not good, but they are not criminally liable. So why do we follow this in criminal liability? Well, it's because, well, why don't we charge moral liability, a moral duty? It's because it can be ambiguous. Uh, it's difficult to draw the line. Uh, like, for example, a legal obligation to my wife is easy to draw a line. There's a relationship line right there, and it, that line is definite. But if it's a moral duty where you don't know the relationship status of the person, then it's hard to draw that legal definition. Uh, it can create more harm from interfering, and you also want people to be free. Uh, the criminal code is meant to prohibit actions. It's not meant to require actions. And that was everything that we talked about in criminal law today. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.